Hello, this is Chrissy King, and today we'll be mapping body liberation on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Chrissy King. Chrissy King is a writer, speaker, strength coach, and educator with a passion for creating a diverse and inclusive wellness industry. She empowers individuals to stop shrinking, start taking up space, and use their energy to create their specific magic in the world. She's been featured in Self, Shape, Health, Cosmopolitan, BuzzFeed, Muscle and Fitness, among others. With degrees in social justice and sociology, from Marquette University, Chrissy merges her passion for social justice and her passion for fitness to empower individuals within the fitness and wellness industry to create spaces that allow individuals from all backgrounds to feel seen, welcomed, respected, and celebrated. When she's not serving her clients by empowering them to create stress-free and sustainable lifestyles and feel confident and empowered in their skin, she spends her time lifting all the weights, reading, traveling, and hanging with friends and family. Hi, Chrissy. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. I am super excited. I've been waiting for this conversation for a long time, as you know, and I want to start out, Chrissy, with a quote from you. And here's the quote. If we base our self-worth on our bodies, we will forever be on an emotional roller coaster of body obsession. So can you just share how you define body liberation now that we've set the stage with that quote? Absolutely. So, you know, when I'm talking about body liberation, for me, it means a a few things. I think for one, my personal belief system around bodies, right, is that our bodies are not the thing that make us who we are. It's just the thing that allows us to have this human experience. And so, you know, the unfortunate thing is that we live in a society that is hyper-focused on bodies. And so because of that, it's really easy for us to be drawn into this idea that our bodies determine our worthiness and somehow as a result of that, we you know, spend our whole lives obsessing about what our bodies look like and wanting to make them smaller and it can dull our accomplishments and, you know, allow us to be less present in experiences even because we're hyper-focused on what we look like or what people are thinking about us. And also, you know, from my own personal experience, when you're so focused on your body and making it smaller and maintaining the way it looks, it takes away a lot of your creative energy. And, you know, I just think we're all here to put very specific magic into the world, which is different for all of us. And that can take away from that magic. It took away from mine for sure when I was hyper-focused on my body. So that's one part of body liberation. And then the other part of that is that for me, it's also about thinking about 
the fact that we all live within a society and there's a lot of systems in place that make it difficult for us to love and accept our bodies, even though we know our bodies are not a determination of our worth. And so another part of body liberation for me is, you know, once we work on our own personal liberation in terms of our bodies, how can we take our collective energy to dismantle systems of oppression so that all of us can live within an environment and a world that we all can feel safe and secure in our bodies, regardless of our backgrounds. And so I always say that self-love is so important and I want us all to unapologetically and radically love ourselves. But we also have to acknowledge that self-love doesn't stop us from experiencing discrimination from anti-weight, stigma, anti-fat bias, or any of those things. Yeah, yeah. So well said, Chrissy. And you know, so much of what you're saying resonates with what I believe about the body internally too, and how in functional nutrition, really my goal isn't to get somebody on a perfect diet. It's to get, as you said, the body humming and in the way it's supposed to be functioning to the best of its abilities so that we can live our purpose. When we're hyper-focused on our body inside, outside, anywhere, it's really hard to be and present and create, as you said. And then the second point is really where I want us to go next in terms of dismantling those systems of oppression. And I wanted to ask you to speak into the roots of body liberation, but maybe first we have to look at those Western standards of beauty so that we can draw out that lineage from those standards to liberation or this journey to liberation that you're leading. Absolutely. So, you know, I talk a lot about fat phobia and the history of fat phobia and the intersection of that with racism. And so Dr. Sabrina Strings has an amazing book called Fearing the Black Body. And I always talk about that book first because I learned so much from it and it goes into so much of a deeper explanation than I can provide here. But, you know, the roots of fat phobia in our country really date all the way back to slavery and wanting to separate the look, you know, a lot of times slaves were in more robust bodies, larger bodies. And so it was this desire to create a hierarchy, especially among white women, to be as far away from that as possible, to really focus on shrinking bodies, being smaller, being in a smaller, more petite body. And then also the stereotypes of like being in a larger body, being, you know, morally wrong or also, you know, lazy or unmotivated and all these like negative connotations that we still in some ways hold today. Um, and so that is historically how this idea of anti-fat bias and fat phobia even started. And so as we're moving towards body liberation and working to decolonize our minds about bodies, it requires, one, that we understand the history. How do we get here? And then secondly, it requires that we really unlearn our implicit biases, right? And so whether we're talking about bodies or we're just talking about white supremacy and racism in general... We all have been raised with belief systems that are inherently biased. That doesn't matter who we are. And so we all have to be actively working to question some of those biases and then begin to think, is this what I actually know to be true? Is this what I really believe? Or is this what I was raised to believe? And as it pertains to fat phobia and anti-fat bias, most of us, I would say all of us, were raised within a society that portrays being in a larger body or being outside of those Eurocentric standards of beauty as something wrong or less desirable. And so we all have to really start to question that for ourselves. Again, decolonize our minds and start to just think, you know, there's so many things that we say every day in passing, especially as it pertains to bodies that really are rooted in personal bias. And one thing I think about all the time is just, for example, I hear people frequently talking about like, you know, someone in a fat body, a larger body, saying things like, I don't care about, you know, what they 
eat or how they weigh or, or what they look like or whatever. I just want them to be quote unquote healthy, right? And it's such an interesting juxtaposition because on the flip side, when someone is in a smaller body or a thin body per se, and for example, are constantly eating junk food, whatever that means to you, right? The conversation is then, wow, they're so lucky they can eat like that and not gain weight. Right, right, right. So it's really about health. It's about our own ideas about what bodies are worthwhile, worthy, valuable, desirable. Yeah, there's so much to dismantle in our notions of what beauty is, of what healthy is, of what healthy diet. I mean, it's so complicated. I actually find it really challenging to be a nutritionist in this space because when we are thinking about things going south in the body for some reason, physiologically, like when somebody has an autoimmune condition or unresolved signs and symptoms or any other diagnosis. And I do believe we can use food there. Food is a complicated topic these days because there's so much surrounding our relationships to food and what's become this crazy diet culture that we have. But also when I Go on to Instagram, Chrissy, which I don't actually even like to do anymore. There's so much battle about what's right and wrong that we put in our bodies. And it just seems like there's so much conflict. I'm wondering what it's like to lead a liberation where we reclaim our bodies and our health and what that means for us. I agree with everything you said. I think this is such a challenging time to be, you know, a dietitian, to be someone in the fitness space who is anti-diet culture, for example, it's such a hard time. And it's so hard for enthusiasts or people looking for information as well, because there's just an overwhelming amount of information. So much of it seems in opposition of each other. And it's hard to know what's true, what's accurate. And people are searching for answers that will work best for their body. And there's just so much information out there. So it's really, really challenging. And you know, my background, how I got to this industry was as a, you know, a coach and a trainer. And so I don't do training anymore. But when I worked with clients, one of the things that I always stressed and focused on is we're not going to worry about numbers on the scale and all of this. We're not going to label foods as good or bad. We're going to focus on how we want to feel. And if you want to feel nourished and energized and whole, then you have to like, you know, do a little digging for yourself. There's nothing on the internet that is going to tell you what's right for your body. Yes, so true. Yes, for some people, perhaps dairy is an absolute no for them. Does that mean that dairy is an absolute no for you? Not necessarily. And so it's like, I really encourage people to lean in and investigate how their body reacts to different things that they're eating, to different movement patterns. And I think that unfortunately, because there's so much information, a lot of us have lost trust with ourselves and trust in our ability to know what's best for our own bodies. And so it's hard to get people to make that mindset shift and then also to start looking at nutrition and exercise, not only, not only, but instead of just looking at it as a means to like shrink our bodies or change our bodies, how can it really enhance our lives and help us to feel our best in our bodies? Yes. Yeah. It's really different when we're doing it for a purpose, right? Like when we're actually have a goal in mind or we're grounded more in the response of our own body as you're talking about. I like to refer to this, I always joke, as nonviolent communication with self. And somebody like you is teaching people to get back in touch. Like, what is your body telling you, not what is that social influencer telling you, or what is that next trend telling you? And that's hard work. It is hard. And I think the other thing that's really challenging is 
because social media is like such a big part of our lives now, and there's also so many smoke and mirrors in social media, and I think one of the things that we don't talk enough about in the fitness space in particular is that everybody's bodies are different, right? And so two people can eat the exact same diet and they are going to look different. (laughs) And so I think that's also the really challenging part is because I feel like at least a lot of fitness professionals don't necessarily acknowledge those differences, right? And so as consumers, people come into the space saying, oh my gosh, I love the way this person looks. I love their body. I'm going to eat and exercise just like them without recognizing there's a lot of genetic things that go into play as well. Like that person can probably eat completely different and still look very similar. Um, And so I think that's the other part that makes this all challenging. And then the last thing I'll say on this piece is that I think it's really interesting that we can accept that we all look different in terms of hair color and eye color and height, right? But when it comes to bodies, there's this idea that we're supposed to be the same in terms of our body composition. And that's simply not true. Yeah, I always think about this in relation to how specific things have gotten in our consumer culture. Like we have half-size bras and beds that conform to your body. But when it comes to health, healthcare, even medical intervention, everybody still wants a one-size-fits-all. And I'm like, wait, what? How, how did this happen that we're so individual? We have our Spotify playlist, right? There's all this individuality, except when it comes to how we treat ourselves day in and day out and how we care for ourselves. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it really is. And it's just such an interesting question, like, how did we get here? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to talk a little bit about how we got here because I was interviewed yesterday for a trauma conference looking at epigenetics and how our trauma is not, quote unquote, just what we've lived through, but it's what our ancestors have lived through. It's what our mothers lived through. It's what our mothers were living through when we were in the womb. It's prior to them. And you really referenced this with the standards of beauty that have been uh, part of what has been passed down. And I'm wondering if you can speak into, as a Black woman, where you think that lineage impacted the journey that you're on with your body liberation? For me personally, I will say that my relationship with beauty standards, especially as a Black woman, have historically been really impacted by, you know, Eurocentric standards of beauty, the norm, right? And so we're thinking about things like lighter skin and less prominent features, perhaps, and straight hair and all of these things. And so I grew up in the Midwest in a very non-diverse area, I would say. Went to schools that were not diverse at all. I remember my elementary and middle school, there was only two other Black kids there, and they were my brother and my sister. And so I definitely experienced from a very early age feeling different. And also, it was interesting because I was in school with people who hadn't been around, and people like myself even, they had a lot of questions. And I there's one story in particular I remember, I think it was like in third grade, and it was like a sleepover and it was a really small school. So like the class sizes were like 25 kids. It was like, you know, 10 or 11 girls in each class. And so it was like a, a sleepover where like all the girls in my class were there and they wanted to play in my hair. And at that time, you know, I had natural curly hair and very different texture from them. And so, you know, they asked if I could play in it and I'm sure, okay. And then I just remember this girl was like, ew, gross. Why does it feel like this? And I remember being like so embarrassed and so after that, like I wanted to wear my hair straight all the time and like all this stuff. But, you know, it took me into my, my early 20s to start to really like 
work through, I think, what I consider, you know, my own internalized oppression. Even when I think about my journey towards body liberation, you know, for a long time, I was really in a, in my, especially in my early 20s, I was really in a bad place with body image. And when I look back now, I can also realize that, you know, when we're thinking about privilege and access, so I think especially for people in black and brown bodies, there are certain things you can't control, right? Like I can't control the color of my skin. I can't control how people are going to react to me in that way. But I can control the size of my body, and right? And so we're thinking about being in a smaller body. There is thin privilege that comes with that. Even though I couldn't necessarily have access to some privilege, there's other privilege that I was like, but I could have access to that. And if I can't change the color of my skin, not that I wanted to, but if I can't affect how people are going to see me and view me, I can at least control how my body looks. And that is going to bring me an additional level of privilege. That's one of the things I talk about in the book I'm writing about body liberation is because it is so nuanced, right? One thing that I always say for people who are struggling with body image or struggling with you know, obsessing about their bodies and wanting to get smaller is that I always think the most important thing to remember is that there is no place in that equation for shame and guilt for feeling that way, even if you know the system is broken, because all of us are doing the best we can to survive in a society that is very fat phobic in a lot of ways and does have these standards of beauty that we're all up against. And so we're doing the best we can. And so I say it's not an individual that's at fault, it's the system that's at fault. Yeah. Yeah. And when you tell that story, Chrissy, of you as a little girl, the sense of connection and compassion I feel for you. And I think that when we tell our stories, we can allow ourselves to feel for ourselves is really poignant. I have one, I have a lot of questions for you, but one final question for this episode, Chrissy, knowing that you have the ears of people in the wellness industry here right now, how do you recommend that we do create a more diverse and inclusive wellness industry that serves the needs of the people I know I want to serve? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a couple of things. The number one thing I always start with, we're thinking about diversity and inclusion. For me, the base of diversity inclusion has to be anti-racism because we can't do diversity inclusion work without examining our own issues, our own biases, the racism that we probably don't even know exists in our lives, right? Those are the things we have to address first because when we don't address those first, we unintentionally cause harm to people even when we have the best intentions. And so I always say the first step to doing diversity and inclusion work is looking at anti-racism in your own life. And one of my absolute all-time favorite books that I recommend to anyone interested in doing the work and living an anti-racist life is the book Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saad. So I recommend that book to everyone. And then once you start doing that, like, you know, I think in terms of diversity and inclusion, taking a social justice lens and approach to everything we do is really, really important. And I think the last thing I'll say on diversity and inclusion is that although these things have become really buzzwordy, the reality is that creating industries or creating an environment or creating a practice that is truly diverse and inclusive means that we have to have a lot of uncomfortable conversations. We have to make some uncomfortable changes, most likely. Very rarely do those things happen without you know, some type of sacrifice on some level. And so I think the important thing for us all to remember engaging this work is this is not the work that's warm and fuzzy. It's actually work that is going to challenge us on every level, probably more than we can even recognize, but it's important and it's worthwhile. And I think that's how I'll leave it. It's a really, you know, it's a, it's a great question. And I wish I 
have two workshops, actually, one anti-racism for wellness professionals and another one is diversity inclusion for wellness professionals. Yeah, we will link to those in the show notes and the books that you mentioned, Chrissy. And I can't wait to add your book to the things we link to in the show notes. It is a tough topic, but you really articulated it beautifully. And I think it's about, once again, the journey and the work. And it's a privilege to do the work. So I think it's, you know, a call to action for us all. Thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful conversation. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 